Welcome to the GW Integrative Medicine Podcast, the podcast about disease prevention and health promotion from the Office of Integrative Medicine and Health at the George Washington University School of Medicine and Health Sciences. I'm Dr. Lee Frame, Director of the Integrative Medicine Programs here at GW. I'm Dr. Emily Ho, Director of the Linus Pauling Institute and Professor in the College of Public Health and Human Sciences at Oregon State University. Today, we're going to talk about vitamin D and the immune system with Dr. Adrian Fritz Gombart, who's a principal investigator at the Linus Pauling Institute and a professor in the Department of Biochemistry and Biophysics, all at Oregon State University. The Linus Pauling Institute is a world leader in the study of micronutrients, phytochemicals, and other dietary factors, and the role these compounds can play in promoting optimum health or preventing and treating disease. Dr. Gombart's research focuses on understanding how vitamin D status influences how well the immune system works, um, including the body's uh, ability to fight off infection, which is a, a very timely topic today. Absolutely. It's great to have you with us. Welcome to GW Integrative Medicine, Dr. Fritz. It's a pleasure to be here, Lee and uh, Emily. Dr. Gombart, uh, what are the different forms of vitamin D? Uh, why aren't we getting enough of it? And when is it necessary to think about taking vitamin D supplements? Three-part question. Yeah, there's uh, <clears throat> quite a bit there. Um, well, um, I might start off with just saying that uh, this is the month of November, as everybody's quite aware. And uh, we're actually entering a, a period of time in uh, in uh, the year where uh, most of us living, say, north of 35 degrees latitude aren't going to be able to synthesize uh, vitamin D uh, in uh, by getting sun exposure like we can in the summertime. And this will persist until about um, uh, sometime in March. So this is actually a very timely subject and um, in those regards. And just to... Um, Perhaps uh, uh, familiarize folks with vitamin D. It is important to understand the different forms of vitamin D. So, <clears throat> most of us are aware that uh, we we can synthesize uh, vitamin D in our skin with exposure to sunlight, and it's because, and that's generally during uh, these non-winter months, and that's because you have ultraviolet B rays, which um, cleave a cholesterol molecule that's found in the skin. And this leads to the production um, of vitamin D, which is uh, also called cocalciferol. And this uh, form of vitamin D uh, circulates in the blood to the liver. And in the liver, uh, vitamin D is uh, hydroxylated. It's modified chemically um, and turned into a form called 25-hydroxyvitamin D. And since we synthesize it in our skin, it's uh, vitamin D3. And this is uh, the major uh, form of vitamin D that we find in, find in our blood. And um, it's the form that's important for conversion to another, uh, another form of vitamin D, which is 125-dihydroxyvitamin uh, D. And this is uh, synthesized in the kidney. And this uh, synthesis is highly regulated by the body. Um, generally, uh, when the body senses low levels of calcium in the blood, there's a signal for the kidney to start synthesizing 125-dihydroxyvitamin D. And um, this 125-D3, uh, which I'll refer to it as, is important in uh, binding to a vitamin D receptor 
and this turns on expression of genes and um, in the uh, reg in the regulation of calcium levels in the in the body uh, this turns on genes in our intest small intestine that uh, increase the uptake of calcium uh, from the uh, diet and the reason this is this is all important primarily in bone health um, so why aren't we getting enough of it? Part of it gets back to uh, season. So right now, as we enter winter, uh, there's not enough uh, ultraviolet B rays in the sunlight because of the angle of the sunlight uh, to the earth. It's all being filtered out at this time. And so you can stand out in a outside in a sunny day uh, in the winter and not synthesize any of the uh, vitamin D uh, which is then converted to 25-hydroxy uh, vitamin D. So is it widespread across the, the U.S. in terms of, you know, here in Oregon, we don't get a lot of sunshine compared to other areas. Um, are we uh, more at risk for deficiencies then? Right now, we, yes. So with the, um, <clears throat> with the onset of winter, uh, we're going to be at more risk uh, unless you're getting it in the diet or through a supplement. And uh, diet is actually not a, um, not a really great source for vitamin D because there's only very few foods that are actually um, uh, decent sources for uh, vitamin D. And those include things like uh, fatty fishes, which might be salmon or um, uh, things like mackerel. Uh, and there's some, in, you can find some vitamin D in tuna and sardines. And uh, the what about um, plant-based sources? Are there any plant-based sources? There really aren't. There, yeah, there really aren't any. There are not any plant-based sources. Uh, however, there are um, there are uh, mushrooms, which are fungi and not necessarily plants, and they can be a source of another form of vitamin D called vitamin D, uh, vitamin D two, and um, vitamin D two is. Uh, derived from the uh, uh, cholesterol molecule called ergosterol that's in fun fungal uh, fruiting bodies. It's also found in yeast. And if you uh, treat mushrooms with uh, UVB rays, you will uh, cleave that, that cholesterol molecule into uh, the, the ergosterol into um, uh, pre-vitamin D2. And then if we consume those mushrooms, our bodies can convert vitamin D2 into the 25-hydroxy vitamin D2 form. So there's a D2 form from fungal sources, and there's a uh, D3 form uh, that we synthesize or that you can get from uh, animal sources. The <clears throat> There are some reports now that there are some algal forms of D3, which would be the same as the D3 we synthesize. So there are actually companies that are producing that. So technically that would be a plant source. Um, and, uh, but generally uh, from the types of plants that we consume in our diet, um, there, you would not be getting vitamin D. So if you're a vegetarian or a vegan, it's important to, to make sure that you are uh, obtaining your vitamin D either through sun exposure or through perhaps a, a vitamin source, uh, a supplement source. The, the extent of deficiency varies, um, and it depends on the cutoff that you use for deficiency. But um, 
there are, you know, I'd say significant rates of, say, inadequate levels of vitamin D in, 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 in the population. Anyway, from maybe 50 to 70 percent of the population may not get, be getting adequate levels. Wow, and that's so, a lot. Uh, and <clears throat> again, it depends. It depends on the cutoff that you're using. Uh, so uh, when is it necessary to think about taking vitamin D supplements? It, it might be important to think about it if you um, have limited sun exposure, and that can be due to the, 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 the time of year, uh, your geographical location, because if you live closer to the equator, you can synthesize vitamin D by sun exposure all year round. Uh, so folks in Los Angeles don't necessarily have to worry about it too much. However, most people don't get um, much sun exposure because of our lifestyles. And we also tend to uh, avoid sun exposure using uh, either covering up with clothing or using sunscreens. And that'll affect the ability of your body to synthesize vitamin D. Um, so, um, and there are some uh, populations, of course, uh, who... Uh, you uh, cover their bodies extensively with clothing um, for various reasons and uh, are not going to synthesize vitamin D. And then people with darker skin color, such as uh, uh, blacks or Hispanics, um, uh, need to be exposed longer to the sunlight to uh, synthesize adequate levels of vitamin D uh, because the melanin which uh, darkens the skin acts as a natural sunscreen. So there can be various reasons. Also, your diet, like I uh, mentioned earlier, if you're not if you're not um, consuming things like fortified uh, dairy products and so forth. So Fritz, one of the things that I've seen in the literature is that vitamin D2 is not as effective as vitamin D3. And so if you have some of these risk factors, would it be better for people to look for vitamin D3 for a supplement? Vitamin D3 is considered uh, a better a better, I guess, form of, of vitamin D. And it, there are some reasons for that. And one thing is that uh, studies comparing vitamin D2 versus mm -hmm. vitamin D3 has shown that if you take a, say you take a large dose of vitamin of either form, um, the vitamin D3 will um, maintain in, uh, at higher levels in the blood for a longer period of time. So it's not, it appears that D2 uh, clear, has a shorter half-life in the blood than D3. However, if you're taking uh, daily doses of either vitamin, um, it's probably, uh, that's not going to be an issue. However, if you're using, if you're taking larger doses infrequently, that could be an issue. Um, actually, um, an, research suggesting that taking daily doses of vitamin D if you're going to use a supplement and it's probably much more effective than taking larger uh, doses infrequently, um, particularly in regards to perhaps improving, um, improving um, immune response against uh, uh, infections. So, um, but what about too much vitamin D? Should we worry about that? Cause it is a fat soluble vitamin. It is. Uh, it, we, we do recommend um, that uh, at, you know, at the LPI, we do recommend uh, for adults a 2,000 IU per day. Uh, that's not that's not a a really high level. Um, there are you know some some folks recommend higher higher doses or you know, um, higher doses than that. And, and the um, 
current recommendations from the IOM are 600 IU for adults. So um, we're not uh, in the upper upper tolerable level is uh, I believe 4,000 international units per day. So we're well within that upper level, and uh, we do we do we've decided that 2,000 IU is probably um, uh, going to ensure that uh, you reach a, a serum level of 25 hydroxy vitamin D of around 30 nanograms per mil or higher, which we think is is, is a, a level that you want to um, strive for in in uh, maintaining. So yeah, you don't want to take too much, but uh, too much would be really, really, really high doses. We would right. be talking perhaps of hundreds of thousands of IU per day for extended periods of time. To, to reach toxicity. Um, <clears throat> and, and those sorts of events have been uh, quite rare. Uh, they're usually due to accidental uh, uh, overdoses and so forth. And, um, but uh, our bodies actually evolved to synthesize up to 20,000 international units per day uh, with sun exposure. There you go. You also mentioned the 30 nanograms per milliliter cutoff. Now, I know there's a lot of discussion about this, and it's very debatable, um, but one of the, the, the differences be between which cutoff you choose is whether you're looking at bone health versus the sort of relatively new role of vitamin D in the immune system. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Uh, yeah. So like you said, it's controversial. Um, <clears throat> how much to take per day as far as a supplement is controversial, as well as um, what level to reach in the serum. For many years, 30 nanogram per mil was sort of the uh, recommended level to reach. Uh, generally, physicians were looking to, to reach that for their patients uh, to reach those levels. And uh, that was something recommended by a number of uh, like the Endocrine Society and so forth. Uh, the Institute of Medicine, when they came out with their new recommendations, which did increase the, the amount of uh, vitamin D you should take each day or get each day, um, did uh, adjust the serum level down to 20 nanograms per mil. And, and that was based on uh, the evidence for bone health. So it does appear that reaching 20 nanogram per mil or higher uh, ensures adequate bone health uh, for individuals. Um, that's that uh, the recommendation for other uh, health outcomes related to vitamin D um, just doesn't have enough evidence, according to the Institute of Medicine, to make uh, public health recommendations at this time. But it's uh, the Endocrine Society uh, uh, did come out with recommendations of, reach, of achieving 30 nanogram per mil or higher. And um, so that's, that's sort of where it stands. It's thought that if you reach those levels, you are more likely to... Um, perhaps uh, benefit in those other areas of, of health, which could include um, uh, immune response. Right. And there's a, a lot of literature starting to come out that's showing even maybe 40 nanograms might be a better cutoff, but we just don't quite have the the, the depth of knowledge. Right. right. So, um, yes. And again, uh, there are um, proponents for higher levels, you know, reaching 40 to 60 and some of these are targeting, uh, say, anti-cancer benefits and so forth. So, mm. the evidence, the the, you know, we've been studying vitamin D for, I guess we can say, hundreds of years since we're now in 
the uh, 2000s, but mm-hmm. uh, it's been known for uh, a long time and then um, going back a few hundred years that, um, that sources of, even though no one knew maybe it was vitamin D, sources of vitamin D have been important in health. So sun exposure, um, things like cod liver oil, which is rich in vitamin D. Um, and it's been known that these are, uh, you could, you could treat childhood rickets with this. And, uh, there was also sun exposure, uh, was found to be effective in treating tuberculosis, which is a, uh, a disease co- caused by mycobacterium tuberculosis infection. So, um, it's been known uh, that it's important in immune health and 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 in skeletal health and and and, and so <clears throat> even though we've been studying for a long time, uh, there's still a lot of questions as to how much you need to take or what r- levels you need to reach in your blood uh, for the various uh, health benefits that have been ascribed to vitamin D. A lot of those studies are based on deficiency. You see increased rates of various uh, health conditions, uh, with, uh, deficiency, but then studies that are looking at supplementation to correct those, uh, conditions don't always, aren't always a clear cut. Uh, some studies will show no benefit, some will show benefit. And so, uh, we're still trying to sort out a lot of these questions, you know, as far as, um, what level to achieve in the blood or, what uh, amount of vitamin D to supplement with to uh, improve health. Fritz, can you talk a little bit about what vitamin D is doing? So we've talked uh, how it has an effect uh, outside bone, especially with the immune system. Uh, What is vitamin D doing in terms of helping the immune system, and and how does it help uh, fight against some of these infections you just talked about? Well, um, well, vitamin D, so maybe a little bit about how vitamin D functions. And I mentioned something called the vitamin D receptor. And I also mentioned a form of vitamin D. It's 1,25-dihydroxyvitamin one, uh, D. So the vitamin D receptor is a transcription factor. And a transcription factor is a protein that binds to DNA and it binds to certain regions of DNA that uh, then it turns on expression of other genes. And these genes encode proteins that are important for various processes in cells. And vitamin, the vitamin D receptor uh, is activated by the form one, the 125-dihydroxyvitamin the D3 that I mentioned. And this form of vitamin D is, uh, is uh, synthesized from the circulating 25-hydroxyvitamin D. So it's important to have adequate levels of 25-hydroxyvitamin D to allow synthesis of the active form of vitamin D and when the body needs it. So um, in the case of bone health, uh, uh, the sensing of calcium in the blood is what leads to the regulation of uh, 125D3 pr- uh, production. Um, in immune cells, um, uh, it's the presence or absence of, um, of a pathogen that can lead to the production of the active form of vitamin D. So um, <clears throat> our research a number of years ago showed that 
the active form vitamin D, when it binds to the vitamin D receptor and activates that receptor, can turn on an antimicrobial peptide gene called the capsaicin antimicrobial peptide gene. And it had been known before that that uh, the active form vitamin D, when it bound to its receptor, could turn on expression of some other genes involved in immune response. And so um, uh, in sort of the current model of, of what's going on in the immune system is that uh, cells like macrophages and dendritic cells, which are sort of key players in uh, uh, sort of communicating with cells of the innate and adaptive immune systems, um, they produce, they're very capable of producing the active form of vitamin D in, in response to the presence of a pathogen. So I know there's a lot there. Maybe um, <laughs> I need to uh, maybe I need to explain some of these a little bit better. But just quickly, adaptive immune system would be your T cells and B cells, which are important in uh, memory responses, and the innate immune systems, a system which can respond very uh, very um, quickly to infection. Whereas the adaptive uh, may take time uh, to respond. Well, clearly the immune response is a, is a pretty complicated system and not all infections are, are, are the same. Uh, right. Is there evidence in terms of vitamin D helping certain types of infections versus others? So the innate immune system generally detects pathogens earlier than other cells of the immune system. And these pathogens are detected through these... Um, um, uh, receptors on cells that recognize uh, uh, molecules associated with um, pathogens. So there might be a protein or a lipid from bacterial cell walls or a uh, component of viruses that are recognized by these receptors. And these receptors are found on the dendritic cells or the macrophages. And this then, when they sense that, they are activated and start producing uh, various inflammatory cytokines and other factors to communicate with cells. They also start converting 25 uh, vitamin, hydroxy, vitamin D to 125 dihydroxy vitamin D. The production of this 125 then allows these immune cells to turn on vitamin D uh, receptor target genes. And a number of these are um, important in the immune response, like the antimicrobial peptide gene, uh, production of certain uh, cytokines, uh, which are communicating with other cells in, uh, locally, and um, also um, uh, can regulate the expression of these receptors that detect pathogens on cells. So um, it initiates an immune response, and these macrophages and dendritic cells are also then communicating with the adaptive immune system. And so this allows the, the body to mount a response to the infection. So in terms of timing, um, it sounds like vitamin D has a, a key role in terms of activating that immune system to, to help fight off infection. Um, is it better to make sure you have enough vitamin D before an infection to prevent infection, or does it still have some utility uh, once you, you have an infection? And that's a good question. Uh, I would personally, I believe, and I think a number of, of, of folks uh, in the field would 
uh, recommend that you maintain adequate levels of vitamin D. So rather than uh, trying, it, it's probably better to think of it more in a preventative sort of fashion rather than a, uh, a treatment fashion like we uh, generally use uh, drugs. Um, they, there are studies, you know, there are studies looking at these questions and, <clears throat> and it's not all that clear that giving high doses of vitamin D are necessarily uh, going to be beneficial. It may depend on the condition, but if you've already, if you're already maintaining adequate levels of, of vitamin D, it, it does appear that it's probably more beneficial than trying to treat the condition uh, acutely. So, you know, with uh, really high doses. Um, although uh, there are studies that suggest, suggest there could be benefits there as well. So many times people go into the hospital with an illness, an infection, let's say, and it's clear that they have really uh, low levels of vitamin D. And so um, giving, uh, giving large doses of vitamin D can raise levels quickly and um, this could this could be beneficial because it then allows uh, the adequate production of the um, the active form of vitamin D uh, to then allow uh, the regulation of genes that are under uh, the vitamin D receptor and that are clearly important in immune response. So, um, but I would say maintaining adequate levels is probably uh, much more beneficial than depending on. Uh, high dose uh, treatment once you enter the hospital. By then the disease is on its way and, and you're dealing with a, a different situation than when uh, the body can actually respond uh, properly. You know, the immune system can respond properly to an infection. Yeah. So I think it, that begs the question with us being still in the COVID-19 pandemic, what role does vitamin D potentially play in SARS-CoV-2 in fighting that virus off? I think what we need, how we need to view vitamin D is that it's an important uh, factor in allowing the immune system to function properly. And this is true probably for a number of vitamins and minerals. I, I think you already have talked about zinc with Dr. Ho. And, um, <clears throat> and there are, uh, of course, other vitamins, vitamin C and, and, uh, and other minerals, magnesium and selenium and so forth. These are all important in, in, in allowing an immune system to function properly. And so by having uh, adequate levels, uh, the immune system responds, let's say, optimally. <clears throat> and this would be the case whether it's a, a corona, SARS coronavirus, you know, SARS-2 coronavirus or SARS coronavirus 2 infection, uh, other types of coronavirus infections, influenza infections or cold viruses. So, um, when your body, when your your when your immune system encounters these uh, um, uh, pathogens, you're generally going to activate the vitamin D pathway. It it it's probably not going to matter whether it's a, a virus A, B, or C, or a bacterial pathogen. Generally, the innate immune system responds to all of these, and and uh, and the macrophage as a good example of the innate immune system responding is going to respond to these various types of pathogens uh, because it can recognize them. So you get the same sort of general response, whether it's going to be a virus or uh, a bacterial pathogen. Um, 
with regards to that. Of course, you're going to have other types of responses going on uh, with other immune cells, depending on the type of, of pathogen it is. But this um, upregulation and production of 125 and then the, uh, say the alerting of the immune system to the presence of the pathogen uh, is going to um, depend on vitamin D. So <clears throat> part of this is this uh, stuff that we work on is the antimicrobial peptide. And this, this peptide is important for um, macrophages uh, in uh, ability to kill a pathogen. Um, the production of the, the peptide um, is um, perhaps also important in uh, inactivating viruses in different by different mechanisms. And there's even evidence that the peptide has an, an impact perhaps on the uh, SARS-2 coronavirus. So... Um, production of these uh, uh, these antimicrobial responses, because there are others in, in, in addition to just this peptide, um, are important in, in, in uh, countering uh, the infection. Our immune systems have definitely been uh, at the forefront of most people's minds over the last uh, uh, year and a half. And uh, as you mentioned, we're heading into the, the winter season now as well. And I just wanted to circle back. Um, can we review again in terms of you know, what are the best ways for an individual to make sure that they're getting enough vitamin D? As far as the best way to get vitamin D, um, of course, uh, our bodies have evolved to uh, be very, very good at producing vitamin D upon sun exposure. Um, so that's one way to get your vitamin D during the summer. When we get into these winter months, that's not necessarily uh, uh, going to work. Um, we probably evolved uh, as uh, as humans to, uh, you know, thousands, to say um, hundreds of thousands of years ago to um, synthesize large amounts of vitamin D during the period of time where we could. And being a fat-soluble vitamin, we could store that vitamin uh, prior to the onset of winter. Um, if you were, you know, if we were, uh, if humans located at the, uh, around the equator could all synthesize year round. However, moving northward, um, this, uh, ability to synthesize large amounts and store it was important to get through winter months. Um, I think in today's lifestyle, most of us don't spend excessive amounts of time outside, uh, synthesizing vitamin D based because of the various lifestyles we pursue or the fact that we avoid sun exposure because of the concern of uh, developing uh, skin cancer due to damage by the rays, sun rays. So uh, it's unlikely we're storing up large amounts of vitamin D to get through the winter. So you start, you probably would want to consider trying either if you want to get it in the diet, looking for dietary sources and consuming those dietary sources to, to keep your levels up. But again, um, there, are, like I said, there are a few foods that have, that are rich in vitamin D, um, and they're not foods that most people eat every day. Uh, these, mm -hmm. these, uh, types of fishes and so forth. There are fortified foods like milk, uh, orange juice, some breads, um, cereals. You can, you can look at packages to see what the vitamin D levels are, probably some fortified drinks out there. But, um, again, those are, you know, they might have 100 international units. And just to even reach the 600 uh, IU per day, you'd have to drink six of those, let's say. 
uh, or eat uh, maybe a couple servings of a fish. So uh, diet can be difficult. So it might be that uh, folks would want to consider a supplement, either a multivitamin, which would most of those will have that 600 to 1,000 IU in them. And uh, if you want to take uh, increase that amount, you can use a standalone supplement of vitamin E itself. And how much would you think is, is considered too much? Too much? Well, I, uh, we and, you know, at the LPI, uh, we're recommending that people um, stay within the upper limit of 4,000 IU per day. However, uh, if you think you're low and you wanted to increase your levels more rapidly and you wanted to take uh, more than that for a period, a short period of time, that wouldn't be a problem um, as far as... Uh, you know, issues with toxicity. Mm-hmm. But it's again, been... we we're recommending 2000 IU per day for adults. Um, and uh, if you visit the Micronutrient Information Center at the LPI, you can look up uh, uh, information on, uh, on the uh, source, food sources that, that, are, um, that have vitamin D. And you can also see the recommendations for children and so forth and, and older adults. Great. This is a ton of information. Yes, certainly. If uh, you want to dig in a little bit more, the Micronutrient Information Center at the Linus Pauling Institute is a great resource for vitamin D and, and all of your micronutrient uh, questions and uh, that, that you may have. I think that's all the time that we have for today, though. Uh, thank you for joining us, Fritz. Oh, well, thank you, Emily. Yes, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Lee. It's uh, been a pleasure being here. And just remember, get your vitamin D. I love that. This is the GW Integrative Medicine Podcast from the GW Office of Integrative Medicine and Health. I'm Dr. Lee Frame. And I'm Dr. Emily Ho. Thanks for listening.